Um, Marcia sent me Exodus 4.12, and she said this was how she was praying for me, and you read it this week. It says, now then go, and I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what you are going to say. Now, to Moses, who had been really kind of an articulate verbal guy in another life, and God to tell him this at the point when he said it, that, was, um, that must have been kind of a big deal. Um, I am very wordy. I think uh, more is more when it comes to words. I like them. I do not paint with brushes like Coley. I paint with words. And if you don't get it, get it the first time, I will keep talking. <laughs> and I will keep trying to persuade you that you do know what, what I am trying to say. And pretty soon, I've woven a web for myself. So um, I didn't think this was going to fit, and all of a sudden, it fits just fine. So I will tell you that... Um, <clears throat> You know, when it's one of our turns to do the teaching time, well, I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else, but um, I kind of want to do it, and I kind of, I, and I more don't want to do it because I know the emotions that are a part of that. And, but, but, what God does in me when I am in his word getting ready for this is the biggest deal. And so I reach my high point about um, four o'clock in the afternoon the day before. So yesterday about four, I was feeling really good. And it's like when you clean your house, you want somebody to come over right now. Well, that's kind of what it is. It's like, oh, wish I could do this right now. Well, on I have known for a while, like since before Christmas, that something was not right in me. I just knew it. And so, you know, I just tried to accomplish my list and do one more thing and bake a few more cookies and make sure I got to the post office to mail a package or Christmas cards or whatever. And this thing just kept growing in me, that something was not right. Um, and I noticed it in my words. That's usually where I sin. It's verbal. So it's out there for at least one other person to see and hardly ever just one poor buzz. But um, I didn't I just kept trying to cover it up. Not so it wouldn't be disclosed, but so it would be fixed. Um, I have been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I have learned some really transformational lessons. And there are still some things that I stumble back into. And it's like, I cannot believe this, Lord, here I am again. But you know what happens every single time I am cast on my knees or on my face before Jesus? 
reaffirming to him, mm, nah, agreeing with him that I desperately, desperately need him. I want to say to us this morning, if we are ever in a place that we are fine or we don't really have anything that we need right now, we're in need. We're in need. We just don't see it. So what we, I think would be good for me in a time like that is turn to Jesus and say, I don't think I need you as much today as I did last week. Something is not right. Okay, so on with story. So, um, gosh, I don't want to say this. I think I probably should say it. So, I came to church on Sunday. Pretty much everything bugged me. The music was too loud, and the service went too long, and, you know, on and on and on, and I thought, and there's that little thing over in the corner of me that's going, something's not right. By this time, it's like, shut up and sit down. So we go on with the day, and Buzz said that we were, what about if we go over and see friends that night? I did not want to go see friends that night, but went because it seemed like the right thing to do. And so we got there, and guess what? The infection that had been growing in me just ran all over the floor through my mouth. And you know what? I didn't even feel bad about it. I just thought, that is right. But my husband gave me a clue in his lack of response uh, that everything wasn't fine. And the next morning, when I opened my eyes about 5.30, it was very clear to me that what had begun as probably like some sort of a little spiritual sticker had become an infected thing in me that uh, disclosed a grumbling spirit and a complaining heart. And I want to tell you something. You may not think that's a big deal. It is more infective than the flu. And you know a lot of people who are sick right now, and so do I. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God is trying to bring something to your heart, don't wait as long as I did. So it is in that place of humiliation uh, that I, you know, spent the rest of the time yesterday. And it's like, Lord Jesus, please, um, you know, get me out of the way. If you don't want me to do it, I don't want to do it. Here I am. So I'm going to give you what I have. and We'll see what the Spirit of God has to say for us. This picture that you see in front of you, are you going to, Kelly, are you going to do, I don't have anything. Yeah, great. Okay, I'll say one. Um, my first Sunday school class was called the Beginners. And I was probably deposited there when I was about two years old by my mother. And from there I graduated to primaries and then juniors. And in those settings, I learned the stories of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, week after week after week. And I loved it. 
And the pictures, because I'm a very visual person, the pictures on the front of that little take-home paper gave illustration to the stories that I just heard. Um, and I believe that it was absolutely, absolutely true. Um, it was shocking to me when I took a class called Man in the Arts in college to realize that that art was mostly, for almost exclusively, Renaissance art that was used to illustrate um, to illiterate lay people in Europe the stories of scripture. I had a lot of undoing to do. And you know what? Some of that's, I think, still being done. When I was seven, um, there was a new movie that came into town. It was called The Ten Commandments, and it was starring Charlton Heston. And everybody, didn't matter what church you went to, everybody was talking. Everybody was talking about the Ten Commandments. And it was, if you saw it now, it would probably be really corny. But I got to tell you, it was groundbreaking back in the day. And I left feeling like now the whole world knew about the Bible and the stories of the Bible and some things in the movie, well, a lot of things in the movie were different than ours, and my mother quickly set me straight that that was not the case, and I think she speeded that process along that not everything I saw was right. So this week, we were studying the story of Moses again, and uh, we've been talking about, you know, thinking about some of the things that we turned over in our classes but it seems critical to me to remember that the story of Moses and the Israelites is part of the whole. It did not begin with Genesis 1-1. It was prior to. So if we can have the first slide. John 1-1 says that in the beginning was the Word. We know that's Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So we talked about this last semester, that in before the beginning of creation, God was. He has always been. He's eternal. He existed in the form of Trinity. And if you understand that completely, can we meet afterwards? Because I do not. But I know there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They did not create out of their lack. They created out of their fullness. That is what we came in. They were not needy. God did not need a friend. So he made animals first and then man. That is not biblical. It is not true. So out of their character... And whenever this took place, God set in motion a plan that began with creation and will end when the church, um, it will end when the end of time has come. That's when it will end. And as surely as there was a beginning, there will be an end. 
He is already beyond the future because he's eternal and he has no beginning and no end. He created everything out of who he is. Let's go to the next slide, which is Colossians 1.17. He has existed prior to all things, and through him all things endure. And so from Adam and Eve, through the cross, to you and me, triune God has not just been an observing presence, but the one... Let's go to Acts next one, uh, Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and have our being, and so did Adam. He is upholding all things together by the word of his power, Hebrews 1, 3 said. Did you see what that said? Beyond the molecules and that, sorry girls, that's about the best I can do but beyond the molecules and the makeup of the itsy-bitsiest piece of everything is God holding it all together, okay? All right, so through the cross, he has invited us from spiritual death because of sin to eternal life. And then Jesus said, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is here. And he has promised a kingdom life, not only in the future, but now to the sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which Jesus said arrived when he did. That's big. Okay, next slide. Philippians 2.13 says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, I'm sorry, that's John 1.12, and then Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Our eternity began with Jesus when we became a child of God. So now let's step back on the other side of the cross to Moses, Exodus 1 through 4. Um, I think at some point we have to ask, okay, all right, so all of that, does the story of Moses really make a difference to me? Romans 15, 4, next slide, says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So the answer to that is a resounding yes. It does matter. Um, one of the things I think I noticed for the first time, there were some real brave women in this story. I, I kind of like that. Um, it's good for us to remember, too, that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Old Testament. So the first one he the first women he introduces us to are the midwives. And sorry, I was gonna go back and look, but is only Shifra named or were they both named? Both are Pua. Oh, that's right, Pua. Shifra or something along those lines, and Pua. He remembered them. You know, when? Hundred years later? I mean these 
the story of these women uh, had become something that became part, part of the inspired word of God. I like that. So the midwives. Uh, did you read that the midwives were midwives because they had no children? That's why when it says that God blessed their disobedience to Pharaoh and their obedience to God, that God blessed them physically and they became mothers themselves. The next person was Moses' mother, who along with her husband, because of their faith, Hebrews says, risked their lives, the life of their new baby, and the life of their older son and daughter by disobedience. The next woman is Miriam, Moses' older sister. And it occurred to me that this little girl had learned obedience. That was no small thing that mom asked her to do. And she did it. And she stayed with it. And then in Moses' ministry, after he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, Miriam is a figure on the front row. We will hear about her a number of more times, a number more times. And then Moses talks about his adopted mother, the princess. Um, there, there are some names. I did some research, and of course, you know how it is. You look on this site, and they are... They say one thing and another says another, so I don't know what the woman's name was. Nevertheless, she risked everything to go against her father, who was the king, and take a crying baby out of the river. I, it's, I have a pretty graphic mind, and um, I think we need to be careful not to make this into just... Uh, sweet story of salvation. This was a bloody story of, of salvation. This was very costly and very, very risky. And because of that, it's hard for me to imagine the tensions and fears of Moses' birthday, whenever that was. Um, the dates that I found was about 1520 B.C. to 1392 B.C. And depending on when he was born, would determine probably who the Pharaoh was. So uh, you may have uh, done some more research than I did there. But as an Israelite slave baby, he was born sentenced to death because he was a boy. I love that it said, scripture says that Jochebed thought he was a beautiful baby. And it's like, have I ever met a mom who said about her baby, he is the homeliest thing I ever saw. <laughs> so I chuckled about that until I got into um, Hebrews, and it indicates in Hebrews that she knew through her faith that there was, some, there was a mark on this boy. Um, Acts 7.20 says that he was lovely in the sight of God. That kind of is the, you know, now we know. She, in fierce courage, she fastened an ark, which is the literal translation of the basket, and she covered it with pitch. 
and put it in the river. She had to put this basket in the very place that babies would have been thrown and drowned. And she trusted God in that place of death for the salvation of her baby. Now, I have learned, as have you, that when a specific thing like pitch is mentioned in Scripture, we had it with Noah, now we have it again with Moses, it's a good thing to take a look at that, which I did not do when we studied um, the ark. But pitch was a slime that was found in tar pits around the, the Dead Sea, the information that I read, and it was used for waterproofing. So, as in the case of the ark, as well as in the ark of Moses. So, next slide. The, word, the Hebrew word kofer, and it's Strong's 3724, is the root word used for atonement or covering. The ark is symbolic of how people enter into the door for salvation, and Jesus is the covering of the ark. There is nothing random in Scripture. It's easy to say, huh, isn't that interesting? It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more because Scripture weaves together the principles of God for our learning and our understanding. So Moses was drawn out of the water by an Egyptian princess, and you know that's a story in itself, which we're not going to tell. And then he goes back to his birth home, protected and secured by the very family who threatened to... to uh, eliminate all the, uh, annihilate all of the Israelite baby boys. At some point, Moses returns to the palace of Pharaoh and was adopted into the royal family. One commentary suggested that he might have been about 12, and I wondered, Marsha or Lori, when do, uh, when did bar mitzvahs for boys start taking place? What age? Was it 13? 13. And like, I know Jesus went through that process. I don't know what it looked like, but what, when did it start in the Jewish traditions? Do you have any idea? Okay. 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 And so it's, it's not a big deal, but if he was 12, if he was 12, he was considered, he was almost considered a man in his Jewish faith. Now we have two 12-year-old grandsons, and they are not babies. They've learned a lot, and they have been trained by godly parents. And you know what? I hope their parents get to raise them. But this mother knew that she was not going to get to raise her son. And so with great intention, I believe, Jochebed raised uh, Moses in that time that she was going to place him into the culture of Egypt. Um, one of the quotes that I read said the, it was, Egypt was the most advanced culture on earth at that time. It was famous for great advances in every area of human knowledge from the arts and sciences to technology and religion. 
the great monuments of Egypt, which Egypt is still celebrated, reflect the depth and grandeur of the Egyptian culture, which influenced so many ancient civilizations along with them, Greece and Rome. End quote. Moses had access to it all and was given the education fitting a young man who was possibly being groomed to be Pharaoh someday. Acts 7.22, next slide, says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in word and deed. I think we also can assume, and uh, we need to be careful about that, because I looked and looked and I could not find it. But I believe he was a, he was a military man. He had been tested on the battlefield. He was a man's man at age 40. And then God interrupted the plans of the mighty and powerful. Next slide, Exodus 2.11 says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked at their hard labors. Hebrews 12.2 says, By faith, when Moses had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ or Messiah, who he would have heard about, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he, Moses, was looking for the reward. Something familiar to all of us happened to Moses in the work of God, the work of God in Moses revealed the plan of God to Moses, and Moses decided he could make it happen. I believe Moses knew, he knew on some level, that he was going to be the redeemer, and I mean that small letter R, for the nation of Israel. He was going to free them. They knew that the 400 years was just about up, and somehow I believe that the Spirit of God, mm, God, convinced his heart of that. And so guess what Moses did? I can help you with that. I can make that happen. And the attitude of a heart is exposed, just like I told you, just like I told you at the beginning. The attitude of the heart is um, always given opportunity and circumstances. You know who does that? The enemy of our soul. This whole thing of Pharaoh did not start, this was not a brand new thought for Pharaoh. This is about an enemy named Luc who was Lucifer in the beginning, who rebelled against God. God threw him out of heaven and put, prepared a place for him and the angels who went with him, and it's called hell. So God's enemy, since that point in eternity past, is still the one who's undermining, undermining. And before the cross, this was directly um, pointed, aimed, it was aimed at destroying a future Messiah. So this is very, very intentional. Okay, I'm sure I've lost my... Okay, so he, um, Moses, everything was just right. And he chose what he thought he knew rather than waiting for the timing of God. If you haven't done that recently, good for you. 
I probably do it every day. And most of the time I do it with my mouth. And, but not always, but not always. So Moses' actions result in murder. He becomes fearful. This man who was afraid of nothing, nothing, he had no one and nothing, no thing to be afraid of. He ran away, ended up in Midian. Did you look to see who the Midianites were? Okay, they're like far back cousins because um, the, the son Midian was born to Keturah, who was Abraham's wife after Sarah died. So he's part of the sec, Midian was part of the second family Abraham had. But they were not God-fearing people, and, well, what do you say? On the other hand, his father-in-law, who became his father-in-law, Jethro, in the land of Midian, was the priest of Midian. He was a godly man and gave Moses, when the children were out of Egypt, gave them very godly counsel. So there was, there was um, God was known in that place, but it was not a godly, a godly nation. Uh, let's go to the next verse. No, I need to go back. See, that's what happens when I just start talking. Okay, so Moses took things in his own hands, and during those years, he was a runaway prince who truly went from prince to pauper, pauper disguised as a shepherd, and shepherds were despised in Egypt, and that's who he was in the deserts of Midian. But the call of God brings to mind the covenant of God made, with, made by God with himself to Abraham. He said in Genesis 15, 13 through 14, next slide, and God said to Abram, Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years but I will judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. <clears throat> God would keep his promise. He continued that promise through his call to Moses, and Moses knew, which Moses knew at some level of understanding that God would use him to be the deliverer of Israel. Moses lived to be 120 years old. Through Exodus 4 this week, we have entered in the last trimester of Moses' life. He lived 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and 40 years in the desert with the children of Israel. So God chose a man, and he created a nation for himself, Abraham. He would be their God and they his people. And so I thought it might be interesting to kind of outline Moses' life, and it sort of looks like this. He was born a slave to a family of slaves. He was as good as dead. He was saved by the royal household. He was given the best of the best. He saw a divine plan and tried to do it himself, and then he was schooled in righteousness, God's way, and he began to learn to trust God and learn obedience. That sounds a lot like my life, a lot like my life. 
So what was the end result of Moses? And we will look at this in depth later on. But I believe Moses had an anger issue. And I think that's the reason he killed the man. So from anger issue, issues, whatever degree they were, confident on a world stage, educated, who became a runaway, despised by the royal court, and a shepherd. God seems to do his best work in deserts. And Moses was there for 40 years. And I'm talking about stage two. Then stage three, he was in the desert again for 40 years. But it was in this place, the second section of his life, that God taught Moses to trust and obey and become a servant and a leader and a prophet. He learned humility. He learned to walk in faith, not just act on the seed of faith. So I have some questions that I'm asking myself, and that is, what is this faith? Where in Hebrews 11, uh, really some very important things are stated about Moses' family and about him. Well, Hebrews says it's the evidence of things hoped for, the things not seen. Is it an emotion? What does it look like to walk in faith? You don't just ask for more faith. Because faith has to have an object. Faith cannot exist without an object. Who gives faith? Can we be transformed into the image of God without faith? And those are questions for you. They're questions for me. But I'm sharing them with you. We are invited into a trusting relationship, and trust and faith are very, very closely aligned. We're invited into that relationship with the, the God who made us, and that is no different than Moses. We push away and push back, just like Moses did. And God's call on our lives because of the covenant with himself remains the same. The covenant for us took place at the cross. He will never, no never, forsake you. We may have a lot of things that fall out in our lifetime, but one thing you will never be, and that's alone. You'll never be alone. That's a big deal. Uh, that's all I have to say. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, um, but you have more to say, don't you? You have more to say. So I ask that you would interrupt our... Oh, gosh, what is it for me? I have habitual patterns, um, don't I, Lord, that I create diversions and distractions so I don't have to listen to you with both ears sitting at your feet 
looking at your face. Because there's still that thing in me that pushes back. Every one of us have come today with um, the burdens and cares of our lives. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. I ask that you would teach us to hear your voice. Thank you for the things Jason said on Sunday. Teach us what it's like to hear you speak. Teach us to listen. Lord, teach us to obey. When we hear you, I ask that our faith would be made sight in the obedience that takes place. I ask, Lord, that you would teach me to stop waiting for my faith or my decision to move into obedience, uh, that I would not look at it as waiting for an emotion. I know better but I forget what I know. After your gracious gift on Calvary, Lord, I think one of the sweetest things that you've done is to give us one another. I ask that you would show us how to be faithful uh, fellow travelers with each other in this season of Bible study. We give you the rest of the day we ask for your blessing. We ask for your blessing not like we think it ought to look, but that you would open our eyes to see what you've already given. I ask that you would give us great joy in those little things that we recognize as a sweet gift from you to me. In the name of Jesus, amen.